Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. This week, we have been asking the question, what does God call the church family to look like? Yesterday, we asked the question, how do we work through doctrinal disagreements in the local church? And today, we're moving to how do we work through relational problems in the local church? And before we answer that, let's just take a step back and understand how we should view these types of problems in general, whether they be relational or doctrinal problems. Ken Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, says that conflict, (coughs) that conflicts always present us with both challenges and opportunities. So let's take these one at a time. Why are relational conflicts in the church, first of all, especially challenging? Um, everybody's jumping in all at once here, so I'll try to be heard above the noise of all the voices. What you, what ends up happening with relational problems is that, in my experiences, so often things are smoldering underneath the surface, and they're there for a long time, probably unbeknownst to a lot of people in the church, and maybe even unbeknownst to the other person involved in the conflict. And then something occurs, and oftentimes quite honestly, it's something quite minor will occur that allows what's been under the surface to surface. And then it catches one side off guard. Oftentimes there's an overreaction that occurs and then there's confusion because everybody's looking at it going, what's the big deal about this particular issue? And then all of a sudden you've got this huge relational conflict that caught a lot of people unaware. And now you're trying to sort it out. And to be quite honest, by the time leadership, by the time people that are supposed to be coming along can help out in the situation, too often people have already tucked in and ran by the time meaningful conversation could occur based upon the reality of, of what actually the conflict was. And so all of that to say, I, I don't think we deal with disagreements well, that we don't air them or talk about them or express them when they're still fairly minor and easily dealt with. And instead we let them fester to the point of eruption, and then we duck and cover and run beyond the ability of reconciliation. Part of that goes to what we were talking to in the previous week, um, the individualism of, of people, rather than understanding they're part of this covenant community. You know, in the same way, if they were in a family, those things, you know, the tuck and run wouldn't happen. I mean, you can you can go sleep on the couch for a night or two, but eventually you're going to have to come face to face with the people that you're offended you or that you're offending. Understanding the, the covenantal aspect rather than the individualist aspect of, of our relationships is really significant in dealing with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important to acknowledge in the church, relational conflict is completely normal. Mm-hmm. It is to be expected. Yeah. It's human. And sometimes people are shocked to find relational conflict in the church or they're disappointed to find 
relational conflict in the church, and they're disillusioned by finding relational conflict in the church. And I, and I want to ask, have, have you ever in your entire life been a part of any gathering of people that didn't have conflict? Right. We're human. Of course we're going to have conflict. Heck, I can be in a room by myself and have conflict. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We always jokingly said it's not a family gathering till someone needs therapy. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things one of the things I tell people at, at our membership classes is, and I try to emphasize this, you know, um, I promise you that as elders we will deeply disappoint you, and mm-hmm. that I and I promise you, you as members are going to deeply disappoint us. The question is, is what do we do with those disappointments? Yeah. Yep. Amen. And it's okay to have. disagreements and even conflicts because at least in some shape or way or form they they reveal that we have convictions and I mean you don't have conflicts oftentimes because people just don't have convictions Mm -hmm. and so this shows that there is some strength of feeling but what we need to learn how to do is have convictions without selfishness Mm -hmm. how to have have convictions without pride to have convictions with a sense of deep love that says, I'm going to prefer you over myself. And that's where the church can help all of those involved learn some of those ways of disagreeing appropriately. Because we are a covenant community, then we can affirm our relationship with one another as we seek to understand one another and then work toward a solution to whatever that difficulty is. Without understanding that relationship, we can't, we can't even begin. We, the most important thing is you disagree with me about something. I want to affirm the relationship that we have. You're a brother in Christ. You know, in fact, you know, as a brother in Christ, I'm going to spend eternity with you. And if I've sinned against you or you've sinned against me, I, we both realize that this is a sin that Christ died on the cross for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, he's paid for our sins. Yeah. And then, and so spending eternity with you, I need to work through that. Now, yeah. if I'm working with somebody who's not a believer, there's another principle that holds. I want to spend eternity with him. Yeah. And, and so I'm not trying to create an offense. I'm trying to simply work through my problem, not giving him a reason to as, as suggest that, you know, look at this Christian, what a hypocrite he is and, and that, but just deal with that on a, a real personal level so that he knows that I love my neighbor uh, as I love myself. Yeah. Yeah. And God uses relationships. I mean, it's one of the reasons we're called to be a part of a body and not individuals, because God uses relationships within the body of Christ. God uses relationship in, in, in marriage, in, in our family relationship. God uses all those uh, to shape us uh, into the people that he has created us to be. Uh, I've often said, and I don't mind confessing it, that until I got married, I had no idea, no clue what a selfish and self-centered guy I was. And marriage revealed it to me. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And thank you, Charlotte, for infinite patience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys and you guys are both touching on the other side of that coin. So we first address how relationship relational conflicts are especially challenging. But then the other side of the coin is how are these relational conflicts actually opportunities? How will how will understanding that they're actually opportunities change your whole perspective on conflicts? One of the things that you mentioned, Jonathan, was that, you know, this person that I'm having conflict with, there's one of two realities that is confronting this person. Either all of this person's sins have already been punished on Jesus Christ, in which case... He can't punish them twice. Right. Or this person is not in Christ and all their sins are waiting to be punished on him, in which case I should have 
pity on that person. Exactly. In the first case, I should have compassion because this is a fellow brother who's caught up in sin. In the second case, I should have pity because they're headed towards hell. And, and just that right alone, it gives us a better understanding of what's at stake in, in these relational conflicts. I think there's more, though. I'm just fascinated by the the honesty of the New Testament. I mean, you look, go through the book of Acts, all the conflict that exists there within the church by those that are apostles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of these First Corinthians. Past, yeah. <laughs> all these epistles deal with conflict after conflict after conflict. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does seem to suggest that we shouldn't be shocked. Yeah. If the early church, first century church, couldn't exist without conflict, why do we think we'll exist without conflict? Mm-hmm. And it really is a way, I believe, conflict is a way to begin to die to self. Yeah. And to, to really try to live as one that is trying to follow Jesus Christ in the, the details. I mean, think of all that Jesus had to give give up and and do in order to, to dwell with sinful humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think our call is to reflect him in our dealings with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so hard because, as, as Phil was saying, it goes so much against the grain of who we are. By mm-hmm. nature, we are so self-centered yeah. and and self-esteeming. Yeah, right. I, th- I think another opportunity that these relational conflicts bring up is they they always have the tendency to clarify doctrine. Um, for instance, in First Corinthians eleven, when there was a conflict over the Lord's Supper. Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, there must be factions, or the word divisions, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And that mm-hmm. comes through a process because when these when these factions or divisions are happening, there's a voice of, of error and there's a voice of sound doctrine. And what happens when there's wrong ideas in the church is it forces us to be more clear on what truth is. Mm-hmm. That's been the history of the church all along. Um, you mentioned earlier Ken Sand's book, uh, The Peacemaker, and he, in dealing with conflict, he gives those four G's. He says, "Glorify God." You know, you, instead of focusing on yourself, you get the you get the log out of your own eye. Everybody wants to correct somebody else, but we have room for correction in ourselves. Then we, once the log's out of our own eye, we can show our brother our fault, and then uh, seek to be reconciled. And the opportunities really are glorifying God. Yep. You know how do how do I glorify God and give witness to Christ for what he's done for me in this situation? Yeah. And, you know, how do I glorify him in my response to that situation? How can I give a positive witness in that situation? You know, I have an opportunity to serve somebody in this situation. How can I help them carry their burdens? Yeah. How can I help them change through some constructive um, admonishment? Or uh, how can I teach and encourage by even this example? Yep. Uh, and and then ultimately, it's about growing to be like Christ. Yeah. Well, you know the the verse in Ephesians four where it talks about bear with one another in love. It assumes that there's something to bear. Like you guys, yeah. you guys right. have a lot of bearing right. to do with me in this room. <laughs> there's a lot of bearing here, and I'm grateful that you guys see some of the things that you disagree with. You know, in this room, if if you're a new listener, we have an independent church represented. We have two churches in the URC in, uh, represented. Then we have a church in the EPC represented. And these denominations reflect different agreements or disagreements on doctrine. URC, United Reformed Church, right. EPC, Evangelical yep. Presbyterian Church, yep. Yep. And, and an independent church. But we we really do agree on uh, 
we we agree doctrinally right on but where there's disagreements small disagreements even we're bearing with one another love you, you you can't actually learn to bear with one another in love if there's not disagreements if we agree on everything there's nothing to bear yeah right? and, I, and i know that you guys will eventually come around so <laughs> yeah yes. so i mean just before we came on the air to talk about relational differences we had diff- different opinions around the table in our 10 minute break between and right. it doesn't affect our love for one another, our respect for one another, our ability to work with one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the bottom end of the day, what we're saying is we do disagree. Yeah, years ago I heard uh, uh, Ruth Graham say about Billy Graham, if we agreed with it, on everything, there would be no reason for one of us. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be on an identity. Yeah, that's right. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We have been asking the question this week, what does God call the church to look like? If you have missed any of our past broadcasts, just go to ReformationBoise.com. You can click on the link there. Also, you can find out information about our annual upcoming conference. And uh, we hope to see you next time.